All right, good morning. Um, my name is Logan, the lead pastor here. Um, I really felt as we were singing today uh, just a need to start before I get into the message with a, a prayer of gratitude, um, just that we might have a posture of thankfulness to God uh, as he just prepares our heart for his word. So will you just join me as we just pray a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude? God, I, I do just thank you. It's, uh, it's amazing to know your goodness. I thank you for these, your people. I thank you for these songs. And God, we just come and thank you for life and the life that you give in Jesus. Prepare our hearts that we would see all the goodness that you've done in our lives and the goodness you want to do in the future. So we ask for your blessing on our time, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we've been in a sermon series titled Rebuilding Normal, and what we've been asking is, as we return to any sense of regular experiences that we've had in the city, regular living, the question that we've been positioning each other to, ha- to answer is, will you follow the world's script that says this is how you should live a normal life at this time, in this city, in this workplace? Or will you follow the Spirit? Will you allow for the Spirit to reimagine for you what normal actually is and can be? Because God has this normal that we believe He wants you to have that is different than what the world tells you you should think and do. And we've been applying it to different areas of our lives, but today we're going to apply it to the church. And not just like the church at large, but our church, LMCC. What is normal for our church community? And how is God leading us as we move forward after this less than normal experience of church we've had over these last year and a half? And I'm attempting today to answer a question that many of you have asked me when we've spent time together, and that's, how is the church doing? Um, And it's a difficult question to answer, or it's a really simple question to answer, depending on how you look at it. There is a super spiritual answer that says the church is fine, (laughs) because Jesus is the head of the church. He is in charge, and he loves his bride better than I could or anyone else could. So there's a super spiritual answer, but then when we dig into the actual weeds, it begins to be a little more complex. So how is the church doing? How is LMCC doing? The answer is, it depends. It depends on how you understand church. Because you're measuring how we are doing based on what you believe a church is and should be doing. I'm measuring how the church is doing based on my own paradigm of what I think the church is and should be doing. Or I'm measuring it by a past picture of what LMCC was and uncertain about what LMCC might become. But even as I dig into the it depends question, or answer, because it's not really an answer, is it? Um, I can say I love this church. I love it in its current form. And when I say the church, the church is uh, both an organism and an organization. And I want to say that that's what the scriptures present to us. An organism, it's a living body. It is breathing, it is alive, a group of people that everywhere they go, they are the church. It's also an organization where we gather around very clear ideas and beliefs 
And then we gather around events to participate in together. So it is both, an organism and an organization. And how is LMC doing, CC doing as an organization and an organism? It's doing pretty well. And that's by the grace of God, because there's been nothing that has disrupted more of our gathering as an organization and living as an organism than this pandemic. And yet God's grace has been abundant to us. But I still want to dig in more and say, how is LMCC doing? How that question will be answered in the future? It depends. It depends on you. And it depends on you and I saying we will partner with God and his vision for the church. And so it depends on you and I re-upping our commitment to God's idea of the church and his call on this church, this body. And what I believe God wants me to do today is to plant seeds. To plant seeds in your mind and in your heart of what God may want to do in this church with you as a part of it. You participating. Your presence mattering to this body. And that you would allow for God to plant a seed that over these next few months that he could water. So that it could germinate to the point that when we get back together in the fall... It's ready to bloom and birth forth with great fruit. Because we talk about rebuilding normal, we still kind of have a few months to go before any sense of normal happens, is what I think. And it's not just because in September everyone's saying you need to come back to the office. It is that in September God is telling us it's time to re-engage in the life of this city with the life of Christ in such a way that our neighbors receive from us the peace that transcends all understanding. That they receive from us the life that is abundant and full and free from the stresses and the fears of the world. He's planting seeds today. And I don't know exactly how he's going to tell you that you should be a part of it, but I know you should be. Because it's not an accident that God brought you to this church, however long ago or today for the first time. God has brought a people together for his purpose and his presence to be manifest in a beautiful and new way as Alicia was talking. She's right. He's doing a new work in this city. He's doing a new work in this church. And you are supposed to be a part of it. The question is how. And so to answer that question, um, I have three sections Um, to the message. The first two are preparing the soil. Because God says that a seed must fall on good soil if it's going to bear fruit, and we need to do some prep work in the soil of our souls today so that God can plant his future purpose in it. And so I'm going to look at where we've been and talk about the history. And then I want to give you a framework to look through as we think about our future And then I want to walk again through our vision and mission and say, which of these items is God saying that's for you to be a part of? So when I look at our past, where we've been, and talking about rebuilding normal, I can say this about this church. We are built for this. We are built for rebuilding a normal life around God for our community. Because this church and its original idea was birthed after the devastation of the attacks on the two towers at 9-11. After that, a group of missionaries came into the city to help with first responders, those cleaning up at the site downtown. And every day, they just serve meals to those people, 
who are doing a very difficult and emotionally taxing work of sorting through the rubble of devastation. And it was out of them serving meals, out of them praying for those who were hurting on the streets, that they said there needs to be a church in Lower Manhattan. There needs to be a new church, a church that comes in with new excitement and new life and can offer to them hope again. And out of that, a pastor named Greg Farah and his family moved into the city And as God does, when people trust Him with their lives, He gathered people around it, and a church originally called Mosaic Manhattan was formed. And it began to do exactly that vision. Not in a beautiful space like this, but in a school cafeteria. Um, And in that small group, God began to build this beautiful church. And it had its highs, it had its lows. It had to rebuild multiple times. And then after the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, when the city also had to rebuild, there was a chance for for another rebuild. And in that, there was a healthy leadership transition, and in came a new pastor, Ryan Holiday. And out of that small group again, it had dwindled down to even smaller than the people that we have in this room today, God began to create Lower Manhattan Community Church, which we affectionately call LMCC because who wants to say that mouthful of a name every single time you describe it? We stayed in the neighborhood because we knew God wanted us here in the neighborhood to continue that work of rebuilding, but also because God had given us this vision towards families, that we would create a vibrant place for families to grow and thrive in this city where the city doesn't always give that chance for families. And out of that has formed what I believe to be the best children's ministry in all the city, and I believe we will continue to invest in families. But as God began to build this church, he began to do some miracles. One was of generosity. A church born out of the financial crisis had a financial crisis of its own, in debt. And yet, as a call to generosity was issued, God released the resources of this church, and a miracle of generosity was formed that has marked this body for the next decade, where we are able to give away Now, on average, a million dollars of every gift, all the gifts that we give to others who are in need to rebuild what is broken in this city and in the world. But in 2018, God said there's still a rebuild that has to happen. And part of the rebuild that God wanted to do in our church then was he was telling us we didn't really know who our God was. We knew parts of him. We'd embraced God as a father that wanted to lead a family. We embraced Jesus as king who wanted to see justice reign in the world. But there's more to God. Both the Father and the Son said, you need the Spirit. And we told the Spirit, yeah, we need you occasionally, but can you sit in the corner? Because we really love the Father and the Son. We understand them. They're easy to understand. You're the wind. We don't know where you're going to blow. We don't know what you're going to do. We're not sure we're ready for the wild spirit. Um, and, And thinking about this idea that we didn't quite know the fullness of God, I was reminded of a story of, uh, of Walt Disney's daughter. I don't know if you've heard this story. But Diane Disney just grew up with Walt Disney as her father. For her, she, he was just Walter Disney until she went to kindergarten. And in kindergarten, they went around the class, and everyone had to introduce themselves. And she got around, and she said, my name is Diane Disney. And the class went like, started getting excited and crazy. And she was looking around like, why are they reacting this way? And the teacher said, uh, is your dad Walt Disney? And she said, plainly, yes. My dad's name is Walter Disney. And the class erupts again, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. 
And, and she's like, why is this a big deal? And the teacher looks and says, uh, Diane, your, your dad is Walt Disney, like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse Disney. And she said she went home that day and she got in front of her dad and she put her hands on her hips and she said, why didn't you tell me you were Walt Disney? <laughs> she didn't know who her father was in the fullest form. She just knew him as dad. But that day, her idea of her dad expanded. And in 2018, our idea of God expanded. God and the power of the Holy Spirit began to take over through worship, through the reading of the scriptures, through Ryan stopping, kind of controlling what God may want to do in this church and letting the spirit flow. And we saw things that, you know, we, we don't really want to talk about with our neighbors because they're like, oh, you're the crazy Christians now. Um, we like the idea that we had a good reputation of being smart and intelligent. And God said, I want you to have the fullness of God that is wiser than the man that is next to you, but is more powerful than anything you can see in this world. And the supernatural presence of God came and brought with it power, inner healing that transformed people's lives, setting them free from emotional bondage and wounds from the past, physical healings to the point where God was even knocking people on their back so he could say, be still, I have to be the doctor today giving them even the spirit to speak in a heavenly language, the scriptures call it tongues, so that you can connect with God in a new way. And the miracles of generosity and the miracles of signs and wonders were amongst us. And God said, I want to see in this place a move towards revival, a move towards awakening that awakens the people in this church, but then awakens the people outside this church, that your neighbors experience the works of revival, not just a church celebration of revival, but that the full manifestation of God comes. And revivals have stages, and they are not always easy to accept. You know, my wife was asking, and she was kind of voicing her own processing the other day of what stage of the revival are we in? Because we saw the beautiful manifestations where everyone was rejoicing and we were baptizing, spontaneous baptisms everywhere, and it was awesome. It was really good. And then we saw the pushback stage of revival where people said, I don't really like my church changing. I like the comfort of, of a God that I can treat as a formula. And then we pushed through the pushback phase and we began to sort through what is a mature understanding of revival? What would it look like to be a church that doesn't reject our past, that doesn't say we missed it, but adds to it, that says we're going to build that on the foundation of the teachings of the apostles with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to kind of come together. And through that, God led a transition where Ryan really heard God say that I was supposed to take over and be the lead pastor. And you've heard me say this. I said, <laughs> no thanks. And then God said, yes. I want you to lead this. Because throughout my life, God has given me tastes of what it looks like to embrace the wisdom and the power of God inside a body. And he has surrounded this church with people like that as well. And out, out of the pandemic, we are now having a moment where we are supposed to rebuild again. But we're built for this. He's taken us through it time and time again. And there have been some of you that have been through those rebuilds, and that's why you're still here, to help us do it again. 
And for some of you, you're here and you're brand new, and this is your chance to help us rebuild because we need your new energy and your new strength because rebuilding is tired. <laughs> it is not easy work. So we need you. But the question becomes, how are we to rebuild? How are we to do that? And so I want to give you the framework by which we have really begun to understand our vision and mission that God has given us a church, and it's from that passage in 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to them as a church and instructing them as this group of diverse people, Jews and Greeks, who come from different backgrounds, who desire different things, who have different ideas of what normal can be. He's coming and bringing them together and saying, here's what God is saying. And the paradigm, the framework he gives them is this. He sums it up. He says this, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, Christ the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, the paradigm I want to give you and the framework I want you to think about as you look to the future is that of wisdom and power. Now, when I say power, I don't want you to think American understanding of power because that's authoritative and hierarchy and it's about political power. That is the leaven of Herod, the scriptures call it, a political spirit that understands power in dominating ways. This word power is dunamis. It is the miraculous power of God that can be manifest through any and every believer by faith because of Jesus Christ. It is the work of signs and wonders. So that's the power. The wisdom is the word Sophia. In the book of Proverbs, it's described as a woman, a woman who invites someone to come out from along the road to experience life and joy and eating at the table of wisdom. And now Jesus is described as that lady wisdom, Sophia. For us, and Sophia is where we get the English word philosophy and sophistication. And so it is this idea of wisdom that there is a way of thinking that leads to a way of living that is excellent and beautiful and abundant. And what he is saying in this framework is that some of us prefer wisdom and others prefer power. And as we walk through this framework, what you need to be self-aware about is what do you prefer? What is your preference? Is it wisdom or is it power? Because your preference is where you will project onto the body of Christ what they should be giving to you most. So if you prefer wisdom and philosophy and sophistication, you will demand certain aspects of a church to engage you largely intellectually, largely to engage you only through the mind, in order that you would say, oh, I'm provoked of thought, therefore I will engage more with God. Greeks seek wisdom. And we are in a city of wisdom seekers. We are in a city that loves wisdom, that loves the new knowledge, that loves the new intellectual engagement, that loves the new philosophy. And we as a people gravitate towards that. We kind of, it's a magnetic force that we want. And we want to be able to say, I go to a church that's wise. It has a good reputation. You're not going to be freaked out when you come into our doors. And then there are others, that, if we're honest, they just prefer power. 
They just want to see the signs and the miracles and wonders. Great, you're engaging me intellectually. Awesome. Well, until I see the power, God's not present. And here we see that what Paul says is Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And you need to be self-aware enough to know which you prefer because Jesus is going to offend your preferences. And the church, when it exists in following Jesus fully, will confront your preferences and it will invite your preferences. Because if you prefer wisdom, that's because God has manifest inside of you that longing and love of wisdom that we need as the body for you to bring your wisdom. Maybe I shouldn't say your wisdom. Because it's the wisdom of God that we need. So you need to channel the Spirit giving you wisdom, not just your ideas. Some of you love power. That's because we need you to pursue the miracle signs and wonders. Because until we get both, we don't get Jesus fully. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest Jesus to us both in teaching everything he taught, every philosophy he said to follow, but it also is to come in power, not merely in persuading you to agree, but into showing up in ways that you never would have imagined so that you know that it's about God and that he's here and he wants to do something that you cannot conform him to so that he gets all the glory, he says. Now, here's why that is important, because just as you and I have preferences toward wisdom and power, churches tend to choose one or the other. It's just too messy to try to do both. It's too messy, because there are people that just want it to be constant wisdom, and there's other people that just want it to be constant power. But Jesus is not a formula. He's not a formula that we can form a religious service or form religious practices in such a way that if we do X, Y, he'll do Z. Or if we add these things together, then he does it the way that we want. He transforms lives as a result. We have to follow a Savior who doesn't go by our rules. We have to follow a Spirit that doesn't tell us what he's going to do next before he does it and be willing to say yes over and over and over again however he wants, because it is only as he confronts our preferences with his true presence that we are truly transformed, because he is not just trying to make you one iteration better than yourself today. He is trying to conform you to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the perfect image of God, and to do that, he has to sharpen away the preferences that he did not create, but that you have adopted over time. And most of us adopt preferences because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel like I'm going to be okay here. But faith is all about looking to God and saying, if you're here, I'm okay. If you're in charge, it's going to be okay. Because you're good and your power is more powerful than anything man can do to me, anything I can face in this life. Jesus has overcome, so I choose him. And so as we walk forward, what I am informing you of today is that we are attempting to be a Christ-centered church in every form of the word, and that's wisdom and power combined. And what Paul says is the cross of Christ looks like foolishness to those seeking wisdom, and it is a stumbling block to the Jews who look, at it, look for power. Because what Messiah... 
What Savior, King of the world, allows himself to be crucified in the weakest, most shameful form? That's not powerful. What king comes and lays down his life instead of taking up sword with all of his power and might and destroy? Well, that's wisdom. And the cross becomes a stumbling block to those who disagree. But it says to those who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. And so when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, something can pierce you, whether you believe or not today, in such a way that you say, that's true, and that is power, and that is wisdom, and I choose it above everything else. And so we, as a body, have chosen, as we look forward, to embrace the wisdom and the power of God together. And I'm asking you to join me in that mess. (laughs) Join me in that mission. Because I know it's what the world needs, whether they know it or not. They need Jesus. There is nothing more attractive than the wisdom of Christ and the power of Christ. And so that's what we offer. And that informs where we're going. And today, what I want to do on that front is be able to say... Here's our vision and here's our mission. And I'm not going to unpack all of these things. I'm going to give a few sentences for each. But I'm going to ask you again to consider what seed is God planting in your heart and mind today? Because if you're going to be a part of this church, you're going to be a part of all of this mission. But God has given you his spirit in a very unique and powerful way so that you have your own superpowers, spiritual gifts, And there's going to be a passion that you begin to adopt in certain parts of this mission. And God grants a a mission that is so wide and vast that unless everybody in the body of Christ says yes to it, we won't be able to see it. We won't be able to see it. So there's actually eight mission items. And and, uh, when Ryan first presented this vision 10 years ago, he described it as a V6 engine. (laughs) <laughs> Ryan, we're upgrading today. V8. What he was saying is that there are cycles inside of an engine that all have to run together for the engine to move forward. I'm just teasing about Ryan. But God's given us these, these, these vision, this mission statement in order for us to say we want to do all of these because we believe God's called us to all of these and only he can do it through us. But before I hop into the vision and mission, I have to answer the question of Who? <laughs> Who is our church now? (laughs) Because over the course of this pandemic, the demographics, the people of this church have changed. Sadly, we've had to say goodbye to some people that the pandemic kind of accelerated their plans of leaving the city. But in a weird way, because now there's a camera here that I get to preach to, God's expanded who's a part of this church. We somehow have an online connection to people of this church. And they are a part of our body now. That's weird for me. (laughs) I don't understand that. But as I've processed it, I see the letters in the scripture are very much like a digital church. Paul is writing to people far from him, giving them truth of how they need to leave their lives. Peter says, you're the diaspora. You're the scattered people, but you're still part of the body. So we have an online diaspora. (laughs) And they're as much a part of our church as anyone else. For some of them, we will be their supplemental church. 
We will be their addition, their add-on, like supplements are and vitamins are to the rest of us. They're just going to kind of be that supplement that pushes them. For some, will be a transition. We'll be a transition church as they find a local body. But for some, in some way, this will be their home and this will be their family. And they will travel back and forth and then we'll have family reunions at the all-church retreat and we'll get to meet each other. Because <laughs> at the Newcomer's Brunch, I was asked that question. Who is our church? <laughs> and some people at the Newcomer's Brunch, I met for the first time because they've only known us online. <laughs> and I can't wait for you to meet them because you haven't even met them yet. <laughs> Next All Church Retreat is going to be this beautiful family reunion where you want to meet the family. You know, there's some family reunions where you're like, maybe I'll skip this one. That's going to be one that you shouldn't skip because we're going to come together. And so we have this online people that God has called for us to disciple. And what God has said is just pastor whoever I put in front of you. He said, here's your metric. It's in our vision statement. So here's our vision statement. It is to see all people and all things transformed by Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Churches have a lot of metrics, just like you have a lot of metrics in your workplace. And some of us look at leading indicators as a, as a record of if we're doing well, some to the trailing average, right? Our metric is that word transformed. That's our metric. If lives are being changed, if people are going from death to life, from despair to hope, from pain to healed, from lacking God to having God, to being transformed by Christ, we are doing what he's asked. And the only way we can see lives transformed is if we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can do it. Paul, in this letter that he's writing, says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of wisdom. I came to you in manifest power of the Spirit. That words lack power unless the Spirit is a part of them. That prayer is filled with power when the Spirit is a part of it. So that's what we are called to do, and that is our metric for success. And so we won't follow a script of best practices that churches have offered. We won't ignore them because we choose to cherish wisdom that's from God. But we will not copy what other churches do when Jesus is telling us to be the church he's made for this time and this place and this moment. And so we will seek God to tell us what to do next. And to do that, it requires us to approach mission in a certain way. And so we approach mission in this way. We humbly and relentlessly pursue the promises of God by following his call Hold on on the, on the worship one. I just want to make a comment. Churches have not often been humble. Even me saying we're not going to copy best practices can feel a little bit arrogant at times, as if we're going to figure something out that no one's done before. And that's not what I'm saying. There's nothing new under the sun. Churches have done what we've done and what we're about to do probably better than we ever have. That's not what it's about. We are humbling ourselves before God because he exalts the humble. And we just want to say, not our agenda. That's what we mean by humbly. Not what we want, not our preferences, not by our ways, but your ways. Not trusting in our own wisdom, but trusting and leaning, not in our understanding, but on God and his ways. And then relentlessly, I only know how to do things relentlessly. I am persistent to a fault. And so until we see more of these things manifest, however long it takes, this is what God has called us to do. 
And as he plants this seed in your heart, some of you have been called to only relentlessly pursue this for a short time. Some of you, God is planting a seed in your heart that this is what he's asking you to do for the rest of your life. Whether it's short, whether it's medium or intermediate, don't cut short by having a short-term mindset. Because too many of us look at New York with a short-term lens. And we forget that any, any investment, however small, God can use in big manifest ways. He used a few loaves of bread and a few fish to feed 5,000. So all of your time invested into the truth of God is where power gets manifested. So let's walk through these eight mission statements. And as I do that, let the Spirit prick you in your heart. Let Him stir you in your emotions to say, this is what I want you to pray for and think about. Let Him plant a seed today. The first is that we will follow God's call to worship. We will pour out our lives and our affections to Jesus by singing new songs. Part of the transformation that God did in our church is that we had to see that praising God and singing of Him was the most commanded thing in all the Scripture. And to embrace that for our lives and it's the greatest priority. And what we want to do is see new songs from these new encounters with God be recorded and then be sung around the world. Because that's what God has called us to do. And we want to have songs that are not just sung in churches, but everyone can listen to. And that sounds a little bit ambitious, but my favorite worship leader, Justin Bieber, (laughs) just released a new gospel album of six songs that are just fire. I'm embarrassing my son, which is a gift of fatherhood on Father's Day. But God has born in us new songs that he wants everyone to see and in so doing, help them transcend up into the throne room. That as they hit their ears, they won't just dance, they won't just sing, but they'll experience God. They'll have an encounter and a conversation with God that is unique. And he's called us to be a part of that. The second is that we would study and teach the Bible in order to be shaped by the nature and the truth of God. The key word in that is to be shaped. Not just to know about God, but to be changed by it. That the word is something that is to saturate us so much that it's what we think about as we interact with the world. That it's what we use as power to understand life. And so our community groups, we've expanded them to be community groups and study groups. That we would engage with God's word in unique ways to be shaped by the nature of God. The third is prayer. To encounter God's presence and to experience miracles. God invites us to pray every time we need Him to come through. And what you and I need to start doing is making a list of the thousands of ways He comes through every time we pray. Sometimes you pray and you think, did I really need to do that? Maybe it would have just worked out on its own. Uh, My wife came up with the phrase, tornado prayers. (laughs) When we, we lived in an area where tornadoes happened, when, you, when there was a tornado warning, you'd go into the bathroom and you'd pray, and, it, and if it didn't hit your house, you'd think, oh, well, the tornado just didn't cross my path. Or was it that you prayed? Did you really need to pray? See, we need to adopt this idea that prayer moves mountains. Prayer changes lives. Prayer changes circumstances. We've seen it, and it needs to be who we are. 
So that's why we do Wednesday worship and prayer, that you'd learn to pray, not just together, but wherever you are and wherever you go. The fourth is to welcome, to welcome all to experience the loving kindness of Jesus Christ. And I want you to prepare to welcome new people into this body, new people that don't look like you, new people that don't act like you, new people that don't think that they should live the way the Bible says that they should live. That's our mind, not God's. Because he looks at them with loving kindness. And this has been a body that is hospitable beyond any measure, measure that I've ever seen. And so that is a core of who we've been, and it will be a core of who we are, that we are searching with eyes out for a new face to say, what's your name? Welcome. We're glad you're here, because God loves you. That that's our posture for everyone who walks in our doors. And in so doing, we're going to help everyone defeat insecurities. Because coming into a church is an insecure moment. (laughs) You don't understand the customs. You don't understand the people. And so only love defeats insecurities. The fifth, am I counting right? Yes. Heal, to pursue wholeness in mind, body, and soul. I hope you never grow tired of me talking about healing, even though I'm obnoxious about it. Because what we believe in healing is that you can have the mind of Christ and still struggle with mental health. That you can be the body of Christ and still have physical ailments. That you can have the spirit of Christ and still have wounds for your soul. And in so doing, God wants to heal and further conform you to the full mind and the full body and the full spirit of Christ. And so we will embrace in wisdom and power the healing work of God in lifestyle and in miraculous healings. The sixth is give. I hope the first miracle continues to be the greatest miracle that we experience. In this, I think about the part of the passage where it says, consider your calling. Not many of you are rich according to worldly standards before you were called. And that is true of this church. We've been able to give away over a million dollars, but that wasn't what we were able to do at the beginning. You aren't able to give away a million dollars right now by yourself, but maybe God births in that dream of you that one day you will because you started with what you had to give and God used what you had to give, however small, and manifested and made it bigger. Because what you'll see in this is that part of giving is just freeing yourself, freeing ourselves from the power we've given money over our lives. It's about your personal freedom, our corporate freedom, and then God using our freedom to advance his kingdom throughout the world that we will trust in giving away that God will always give back. Seven is to seek God's justice, to free and restore the oppressed. The key phrase in that is God's justice, which is not social justice. Sometimes they overlap, but we will not allow social justice to be what we understand God's justice to be. Because God's justice transcends time, social justice changes in the moment. It changes from decade to decade. And we will take God's vision of a just society and how everyone should be treated. And when God's vision is violated, we will march alongside of our brothers and sisters in social justice movements if they align with God and his heart for justice. We choose God's justice because we will seek freedom and restoration for those who are oppressed because God is not an oppressor. He defeats oppressors. He brings about freedom. 
and we will seek it until it happens. The last one, which is the one I was most surprised about, if I'm honest with you, when we as a team of pastors sought God on this, because I didn't quite understand it. It's been an unfolding revelation for me. And it's to share Christ's peace with the world, to bring order to chaos and light into darkness. And the reason I say it as a surprise is because sharing Christ's peace has become my new understanding of evangelism. See, evangelism is this idea of I'm sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't know God in order that they would believe in God. But what I'm discovering is that all we're doing is sharing his peace. But to share his peace, we need to be filled with his peace. And so what we want to do as a body is to bring order to the chaos of your life, to bring light in the darkness of your life, in order that all you have to do is to share his peace. And here's what I want to tell you. Be bold that it's Christ's peace. Some of you have great advice to give your neighbors. Can you own the fact that that advice didn't come from you? It came from Christ? So that they know that this isn't about, I need to spend more time with you. It's that they need a Savior, Jesus, the wisdom of God, who manifests wisdom inside of you to offer anyone else. I say all of that because the way that this passage ends is the reason why we're doing all this. It ends in this way. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He says that is a quotation from the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. And the entire idea of boast is that you would hold your head up high. That you would walk with confidence. And in Jeremiah it says some people walk with confidence because they're wise. Some people walk with confidence because they're strong. Some people walk with confidence because they have riches. But he says the people of God walk with confidence and head held high because they have Christ. They have God. And so what we boast in, what we brag about, what we hold ourselves up high about in good posture and strength is that we have the King of kings, the name above every name, the wisdom and the power of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so we offer Him to others, not just our great ideas, not just our healing powerful prayers that may heal in this moment, but it doesn't mean they'll heal, be healed in every moment. Because what they need most is Jesus. Not temporary relief from pain, not temporary ideas of advice for the good life, but the eternal Savior Jesus. Him crucified, Him risen, Him reigning, Him coming again. Jesus, the wisdom and the power of God. That's where we're going. Let him plant that seed. Let him water it. Let it germinate. And this fall, let's get after it. Let's rebuild normal for this church, for this city. Let's pray. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, my wisdom, my power, my only hope. We choose to boast and boast in you. So we'll sing and we'll dance and we'll hold our head up high in confidence because you alone reign in this world. No matter what the world looks like, no matter even what the church looks like, you're still reigning. You're still loving. You're still leading. Plant seeds today, seeds of power that need to do their work in our souls so they begin to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Let this city be changed because you've changed us. 
And as we have asked again and again, fire fall, Holy Spirit come, change us forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to respond today by looking at a symbol of Christ crucified where Jesus says this is power. (laughs) We see it as something, a very simple act. But I want us to have that faith that we partake of this with joy of Christ crucified, joy of Christ resurrected. So for those of us who are taking communion, those of us who believe, we eat of this together, remembering Christ's body broken for us. remember on his crucifixion that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. So drink it in remembrance of Christ. Today we have a new way to respond in prayer. It's text to pray. And the reason we're doing that is we want to prevent any barrier that you have from receiving God's presence and his power through prayer. So right where you're at here in this room, right where you're at online, you can text 601-800-LMCC, which is 5622. (laughs) Cute, I know. And what will happen is you'll be connected with a prayer team member to be able to text to receive your prayer in that way. That may lead to you joining a Zoom call. It may lead to you to say, I just want you to pray where you're at. Because we see in the scriptures and we know in real life that God's power is manifest in prayer, not because we're right next to each other, but because God hears and God is everywhere. And if you're here in this room, there are people that are here to pray for you, that you would experience God. But you don't need to be prayed for. You can pray right where you're at and Jesus can come and be with you. So now we're going to sing. So I want want you to stand and we're going to worship together. And I hope that you receive from God today.